loving on each other. It's awesome. So I'm Sean. I'm one of the elders, pastors here. Yeah. Hi, Mom. <laughs> she hates when I do that. <laughs> it's awesome having her here, though. Thank you. Um, so I get the privilege of sharing with you what God has actually put on my heart. And uh, uh, I want to start by praying. And I really want to invite God to do something that he's never done before. And so if you would just join me in that. So God, I thank you because you are absolutely amazing and awesome. Your presence transforms. It actually changes the way we see. It changes the way we think. It changes who we are. And I want to invite your presence today to do what it's designed to do. This is your service. and This is your people. Help me to serve you by serving them properly, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Dathan was talking about the love of God, and if, I hope you get to hear that. Uh, and I really want to launch off of that because I, I appreciate how that sets this up. I think we forget sometimes just the depth of the, God's love for us. He, he loves us in such a way that, that he couldn't stand for us to be separated from him. It just, it was like the worst thing. And so he says, you know, I'm going to come. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to take on the form of flesh so that I could take from you the thing that you cannot deliver yourself from. And he reveals himself in just so many different ways. One of the ways, I think, has anybody seen uh, the series Chosen? If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend looking at it uh, because it brings the reality of Jesus the man. And he walks with his disciples. And they see him, they touch him, they talk with him. They, like, he's so real and present. And, and, and he... He puts all of his energy into representing God so that people would be, have a chance to actually experience God. He heals, sets free, delivers people from spirits, raises the dead, spends time praying, seeking God. And we see him in a way that we can understand him. He even goes to the cross and dies for us. And, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Passion, I think they did an excellent job. That's probably as close as I've ever seen it. It was brutal. And again, we can see a man. And we can understand love because that's all we know. Right? We... We, we, sin is so unbelievable, actually, let me say it this way, it's so unbelievably destructive to the people that God loves, to the humans he created, that he did whatever it took for sin to not have power over us. 
And I don't think we recognize oftentimes what sin is. And so I, I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about it so you can understand what sin actually is. Because we, more often than not, the way we um, perceive it and the way it's spoken about oftentimes is sin is what you do. And that's, it is, but it's not. If, if I was to describe sin in the most accurate adjectives, I would describe it as death working in us where it doesn't belong. We don't talk about Satan. We don't talk about devils. We don't talk about the demonic all that much because it's a very sore subject, very easy to misunderstand, very easy to get demon-focused. But it's real. In the same way, the spiritual realm is full of God and who he is, the limited experience of the enemy, Lucifer, Satan, is very real. And the work of Satan is to destroy what God has. And so in us, if he can just plant a seed of death, a belief, a thought, an expectation, something around the way we see, planted when we are 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, 10, 15, 25 years old, anywhere in there. He could start something in us, assisted by people who have death operating in them. That death works in the way we believe things, the way we see things, and it comes out of us. It comes out of us as jealousy. It comes out of us as lying and manipulation. It comes out of us in ways that destroy the relationships and seize other people with death. Murder might be an extreme. Pedophilia might be an extreme. Abusing people just torturing people. You've seen people that are so, or you've heard of people, I probably haven't seen them. You've heard of people that are just so full of death that they can actually take pleasure in the pain of other people. We think sin is what they're doing, but sin is more than what they're doing. God hates that. He hates what the enemy had successfully brought into the human race, that the human race then turns around and destroys itself and destroys other people in the human race, destroying our own children, destroying our relationships in every form they could possibly be in. That's what he hates. That's a lot of love to overcome that. Go ahead and show the title. See, you already understand Jesus to a degree. But today I'm going to ask you to seek the God you don't want to know. See, there is 
a familiarity we have with Jesus because we can understand him. But the God who sent Jesus, we don't know him. It is very difficult for us to even imagine him. But I would propose that the stuff that we're dealing with now, for those that are like, consider themselves the church and you're struggling, I would propose that maybe part of the reason why we're struggling is because we don't really don't want to know him and we need to know him. As usual, I have this ministry of poking people in the eyes. I don't come up with this stuff myself, honestly. That's just my disclaimer before we even get started. I want to show you some scripture and the experience Isaiah had. So Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet that, um, like many Old Testament prophets, um, it wasn't the best job to have. They tend to kill him. But he has an experience. He has a vision of God. And I, and I want you to understand, this is a vision. This is not him going in front of God. This is him having a vision of going in front of God. Because if he actually went in front of God, he wouldn't survive. But see what this vision does to him. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. These are angels. Each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. And they called out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole world is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. He thought he was going to die. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this desperation, thank you. And in this desperation, in God's mercy, an angel comes. And he takes some tongs, and he reaches into the fire that's before the God. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips. And with it he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. I want to talk to you about this. It was this experience that transformed this man to be able to do things that were absolutely astounding in the face of resistance 
that was unbelievable. So I did really good. I came up with three points this time. This is for all you people that like points. It's also just so I have a way of going through this so I don't I get everything covered. So the first point, oh, let me let me let me before I start there, actually, let me talk about the fear of God. So remember I said we don't understand God. There is a term in scripture called the fear of God that we avoid. How many people have like, yeah, I hear this preached all the time. How many people have ever actually heard it preached? We avoid this. One of the big reasons is because the word fear, we have a definition for it that is very, very negative. The problem is there are no words to describe what happens when you stand and experience God in a way that is less filtered than it is now. I'm not saying unfiltered because we wouldn't survive that. I'm saying less filtered than what it normally is. There are no words to describe it. We don't have a lexicon that covers that because it is so outside of our norm. There are no words. To get close to it would be an awe-inspired terror for the magnificence of something so far beyond me, I don't know what to do with it. And so, because there aren't really, that's like really, really wordy, I'm just going to go with the fear of God, okay? That way we can get through this a little quicker. Because I could spend all kinds of time talking about adjectives that would better describe what the fear of God actually is. But what the fear of God is not is God doesn't like me, he wants to whack me, and I need to run from God. That's not what the fear of God means. That's how the enemy wants to tell us, but that's not what it means. And so, as we navigate this space, I really would like for you to join with me in saying, okay, fear of God is not to be afraid of God, but to be in awe of God, to be so respectful of who he is. I had someone just come up and talk to me about um, uh, how God was describing it to them. They had um, their grandmother show up whenever grandma shows up. People respected grandma so much that they would, with the party, like the family party, they wouldn't cuss, they wouldn't smoke, they wouldn't drink because grandma was there. Right? But God could be there. We wouldn't recognize him being there. And we'll do all kinds of things. See, that's the difference. Like, we can respect a person to a high degree but I fear that we do not respect God even some of the ways we respect people. So point one, understanding who God is, excuse me, the fear of God creates in me an understanding of who God is and who I am not. So when you see Isaiah go before God, he finds himself in this vision, he's before God, and the angels are they're like worshiping God in a way he's never experienced before. And it's thunderous in the room. If, they, if you would call it a room. I don't, I don't even know if that's a room. And his response at seeing this, right, they're worshiping God with his lips. His response is, I'm sinful. My lips can't do that. My 
I've got sinful lips. I, I, I'm a mess. I, oh, the people I'm with is a mess. Like, I'm a mess. Like, what am I doing here? It changed the way he saw himself, and it changed the way he saw God. And this is the dichotomy of, 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 of what God is and what he's done for us. Because on one hand, when we, like, when we experience who God is, we're going to be like this. You're not going to have a problem with humility. You're going to be like, I ain't jack about anything. On my best day, even if I was Einstein, I'm still like this, right? Because in rec- like comparison to him, you're going to have a much clearer view of who you really are. But then on the other hand, Jesus loves us so much, he gives us identity, and he calls us sons, and he calls us friends. Those are like two extremes. But being in his presence changes the way we see things. It, one, of the, one of the things early on when he started talking to me about this, it, it's like, I'm sorry for the camera guy. I love you, man. I don't, it's like I, I, I told him I appreciate this because then I can talk. Some of the people got the joke. <laughs> it's, I live my life with the point of view of where I'm at. I don't know how not to have that point of view, right? That's where I'm at. So the culmination of my experiences, you know, what I've experienced with God, what I've experienced with people, what I've, you know, all the different things, you know, whatever level of freedom I have, like whatever, good, bad, great, awesome, terrible, like all the different experiences of my life that has brought me and how I've seen the revelations I've had kind of bring me to where I'm at right now. This is the place I see. As soon as I come into the presence of God, it shifts me over to a point where now I'm actually can see from a perspective that's next to God. And seeing from a perspective that's next to God, I see things so much different. I see things the way he sees things. That changes everything. That changes everything. You go to the next point. The fear of God creates in me an understanding that sin is not acceptable. Right off the bat, you saw his response. What? I'm a sinful man. Oh. I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking that before he showed up there. You follow me? All of a sudden, bam, oh, I'm a sinful. Why? In comparison to him... You know how much Jesus hates sin? He hates sin so much, he would do the thing that you wouldn't even do for him. How many people would go die for somebody else? He did, and I guarantee you, Jesus felt every bit of that. He hates sin a whole lot more than you do, a whole lot more than I do. That's how much he hates sin. So then I'm going to ask the question, have I settled for accepting sin when he hasn't? Because I don't know about you, I look at the church and I'm like, 
we've got doctrines, we've got beliefs, stuff comes out of our mouth all the time that sin is just part of the package deal. But Jesus has overcome sin. So when you die, you get to go to heaven. That's not untrue. But I'm thinking it's missing something. Right? I mean, maybe it's missing something really crucial. Maybe what Jesus did was more than what we're experiencing because it's more than what we believe. Because as soon as I move into this space, all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. I can tell you when I, when, when, what's, what sparked this was I had been dealing with, and you guys heard me preach about uh, submission, right? And then I heard, what's his name? John Bevere. Preach on this. And it was like, pow. It just started it. God's talking to me. God's talking to me. I'm like, Whew. And I noticed some things right off the bat. I, I, I'm, I don't want to go into details because then you won't respect me as much. And I got to keep up the illusion. But I'm talking right off the bat. Bam, bam, bam. Some things changed. As soon as my, something shifted inside of me. And I was like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I did not, I did not experience what he experienced. What if... We sought after the one we're so afraid to seek after, the God that is fearful and trembling and power, and I don't know if I can survive. What if we sought after that, and it changed us in such a way that we didn't have to struggle with sin anymore because we just wouldn't, we wouldn't put up with it anymore? We would be like, you know what? Jesus died for this. He, this is what he said he died for. This is what he said he took authority over. He's like, he said, he literally said, I have now conquered death in the grave. I'm pretty sure this is what he was talking about. What if he actually did? And we just haven't figured out how to engage in this thing the way we're designed to, to experience the freedom we're actually been given what if we're missing something and we don't know what we're missing? And this is where it's at. This is where it starts. You know, they're showing the scriptures behind me, right? One of them was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The other one is the fear of the Lord is clean. Never made sense before. Like, it, I read that, the fear of the Lord is clean. Okay, that's good. That's profound. I have no idea what exactly what it means, but I'm sure it's good. Let me move on. Like, I understand it now. Because the reason why I didn't understand it before is I didn't have the fear of the Lord in proper amount to experience the thing that it does. So, the spirit of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And I see things differently. I will be wise about understanding who he is and what he's doing and why he's doing what he's doing and why sin is so detrimental to me and the thing that God's doing in my life and my family and the ones I love. And Right? It makes me clean and all of a sudden I'm different and then I'm able to operate in different ways. 
Third one. The fear of the Lord creates in me an understanding, yes, is the only appropriate response. So the scripture behind me, this is the one after the ones I just read. Okay? So Isaiah, Coles touches mouth. Angel takes all the pressure off. He's clean now. Then God is like, who will go for me? I will go. I'll go. Right? Pretty sure he looked around. I'm the only one here. Must be talking to me. I recommend reading after this, because in the scriptures after this, basically what God says is, yeah, they're not going to believe anything you say, but I'm sending you anyway. This wasn't a great job. He knew it right up front. No wasn't an option. It's not an option. Who tells that guy no? You know who you can tell no? I'm going to poke you in the eye. Are you ready? You can tell Jesus no. We'll do it all the time. I feel like Jesus is telling me this, but I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I want to. Is that really Jesus? You know, one of the things I tell people when they come to me with that one, would the devil tell it to you? If the devil wouldn't tell you to go ask for forgiveness, it's probably Jesus. I make it light, but just consider the fact Our familiarity with Jesus has made it so that we feel free to say no to God. We'll respect grandma more than we'll expect what Jesus is asking us. Because Jesus knows me. He knows I really can't do it. You know, there's a couple Bible characters that come to mind. You know, Moses. Moses gets raised up in the king as a prince in the king's house. Like, he's actually been taught how to lead a country. He's got it all. Ends up throwing it away, led by God, right? God, you can see God's hands all over. After 40 years raising sheep, right, God shows up burning bush on the side of the mountain. Not incredible sight, right? Because bushes burned up. This one didn't go out though. So he's like, huh, let's go check that out. That's interesting. All I'm doing is hanging out with the sheep. Got nothing else to do anyway. Goes, checks out the bush. He gets up there and God starts talking. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Okay, whoa. Whoa. He starts having an experience with God. It's interesting, though, his experience with the voice of God, literally hearing God, I'm sure the ground shook. I'm sure like all the theatrics that you would see in, if you ever saw the movie Moses way back, that old one, like one of the first color pictures, right? There's Moses. I'm sure there was something like that, right? You know, you knew God was talking. Moses, though, it was a little bit, yeah, I don't know, God, I don't know. 
I'm going to send you to Egypt. I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. I want my people to be free. Well, I don't know. I'm not a really good talker. Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, he's, hey, constantly, I can't do it. I'm not sure. I, you sure you don't want to pick somebody else? Right? Whole time. So he's like, don't worry about it. I'll send your brother with you. He'll go talk for you. But you know what's interesting? After Moses spends enough time watching God do God stuff, you don't hear anything about Moses talking for him anymore. I don't know when, but somewhere before the 10th plague, he was talking for himself. He did not have a problem going to Pharaoh and saying, you know what, this is what God says. I don't care what you think. He's talking. I am not telling him no. See, this, John Brevere brought this out, and when he said this, I was like, that's absolutely true. I, I, like, I just knew it instantly. That's absolutely true. When you experience God, again, I'm asking you to seek the God you don't want to know. When you seek him and you experience him that way, you won't be able to tell him no. It won't even enter your mind. You, you'll be like, God, yes, how high do you want me to jump? How far do you want me to jump? When do you want me to go? Should I notify anybody before I leave? You're like, you're going to be whatever you want because I am not telling you no. I will tell everybody in this building, I'll tell every single one of you no. I love you, no. Like, your opinion is not that important. It really isn't. Right? I have less fear of you guys now than when I first started preaching. When I first started preaching, I was kind of worried about what y'all thought. Honestly, I don't care right now. If you all up and left, I would go, okay. I don't know if I ever heard that preached before. Probably not. Then again, it's me, right? But it's a healthy response. And it's not a response that, you know what, I need to poke you in the eye. Like, I, there are some people, fear of God, like they preach the fear of God as if you need to be afraid of God. And they are God's vengeful sword on the earth. And they are going to help whack people. Right? There's something wrong with that. There's something seriously wrong with that. You do not know God. Because if you knew God, you, know, you would know God loves people so much, he is not trying to drive them away. He is trying to get a hold of them. See, the irony about this is we think we know Jesus. I'll give you another scripture. I got more scriptures now than I usually do. First Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He's giving him some serious counseling here. And this is right after he tells Timothy, do what God tells you to do. Or, yeah. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. This is what he says. For at the just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of lords. He's talking about at the right time, Christ is going to be revealed. Listen to how he describes him. He alone can never die. 
And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. I don't know about you, but this is not the Jesus I tend to image. You want more? I'll give you more. Revelations, for you that don't know, the book of Revelation is not the book of the apocalypse where we're all going to die. Okay? I, I say this every time I talk about it because it is one of the most miscommunicated messages in the book. Revelation is the word for apocalypse. Apocalypse means to reveal. The implication is to lift a veil, like when a bride has her veil lifted and the, the husband sees her for the first time. That's the imagery that goes along with the word. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this, you see John in 1 verse 12 And when I turn to see who is speaking, and he's in a vision. Again, it's a vision. He is not actually right in front of Jesus in the presence of God in heaven. It is just a vision. And when I turned to see who was speaking, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he was wearing a long robe with gold sash across his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet like polished bronze refined in the furnace. And his voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Very similar response to Isaiah. When I saw him, I fell to my feet as if I was dead. Do you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus' response was very similar to what happened with Isaiah. And Jesus laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. It was a terrifying and relieving experience all at the same time. We think we know Jesus. We do not know Jesus. We know the Jesus that was the man. We, but we do not know the glorified Jesus. This Jesus is the one who you see God expressed through in his glory. I think we've done a disservice in Christianity. We have doctrines that make Jesus so relatable that we've related to him to the point where we have no problem offending him. 
We call God a man. We say he's a person, the person of God, the person of Jesus. And we make them like they're the same thing. I don't know about you. Okay, if God was here, I wouldn't describe him as a person. I wouldn't describe him with anything because I don't have any verbs, nouns, adjectives, anything that would cover what he is. We've made God relatable, and he is not. Jesus is relatable. God is not. I don't understand him. Anybody who tells me they understand God and has a, you know, they got, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm not, I'm like, I, I can't see it. I think we've done that to make it easier on ourselves. I'm perfectly okay with realizing I don't know nothing about nothing when it comes to God other than what he reveals to me. And it is really limited. Okay, if the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool, I have no idea where he's sitting actually. Because once we got the huge telescopes in space, I was like, okay, we thought it was big before. Like now it's like crazy, amazing big. I don't even have a measurement in my brain for that. I thought they were just little dots in the sky. We don't have an idea of God. But God wants to show himself. God wants to reveal himself in a way, a limited way, so that we'll posture ourselves to him. You should probably praise the music now. They probably need the music. I'm joking. He hates when I do that too. He desires so desperately for us to be free, for us to be sons that know him the way Jesus knew him, the human Jesus. He knew his father to some limited degree. I don't know. I, there's nothing that indicates that he, he recognized everything about God the way he did when he ascended and stepped into his glory. There's no indication that he clearly understood. I suspect, and this is Sean two and one, okay? This is, I have no Bible on this. I suspect he was so relatable as the man, he was limited in his capacity as the man. That's what makes what he did so absolutely amazing. Because if he was the God, doing what he did would be easy. But it wasn't easy because he was a man. But he knew who God was, that it was his father and that he respected him and was so enamored in awe with who he was that he said, I only do what I see my father do. I'm only going to say what I hear him say. Anything else is just unthinkable. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need the fear of God in me to operate in such a way that I can be the person he actually died for me to be. People need that. People need you to be the you that he designed to be. You are much more than what you've given yourself the ability to be but you have to go find the one who you don't want to see. You have to be comfortable going after the uncomfortable. And if you're not willing, 
then ask God, God, I need a heart that's willing. I need something more than what I have. This right now is not enough. It is not enough to be like, oh, God's awesome, and you just feel God, and woo. And then over here, you're just, and the enemy's just whacking on you. And you don't know how to stop it. That's not who we are. We don't have to put up with that. We don't have to like accept that sin's just part of the deal. It's the package deal till we go to heaven. What if it's not? What if you could be free from that? What if you could like you are designed to know how to fight that battle and win it? What if you're designed for that? What if you're designed to help other people learn how to fight that battle and win it? What if the church is designed so that when the sons of God are revealed, heaven shows up on earth? What if that's what we're designed for? As usual, I honestly don't know how to land it. Fly around. All I can tell you is, I don't want to do this without him. At Asbury, they're having a revival. They're having a revival for people that don't know him, for young people that have been sold a bill of goods that has just ruined them emotionally, ruined them with no peace in their lives. And God of peace is showing up and saying, I'm alive, I am real, and they're experiencing him. And that's an awesome revival, but that's not what the church needs. Some of you in this room need that. Some of you don't know him yet in a way that he wants to know you. And and it is the Jesus that loves you, that wants to heal what's broken, that you desperately need. And for you, I want you to go after that. But those of you who have been in this thing for a while, and you know what I'm talking about, you need to seek the one you've been avoiding. Because you need a revival. I need a revival of the fear of God. I need that. It's not okay. I... I, I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to be dramatic. But honestly, there is a part of me that's like, I don't want to keep doing this. With, I don't want us to keep doing this. To just week after week, year after year, keep doing this. It's not bad. I love you guys. I love you, you know, but God's awesome. Keep showing up. This is not bad. But this is not enough. Not, yeah, not if you've been given more. Not if I've been given more. I don't want the enemy to convince me to be satisfied with something that is down here when I've been given this. So we're going to sing some songs. If you're a visitor and you're like, Sean, that was just like, whoa, I completely understand. (laughs) I do. I do. You are free to leave anytime. We're going to play some music. 
you need to figure out what to do. Oftentimes, like, I know, like, we drag people down here. And we're like, come on down, right? Come on down. Feel free. Come on down. Do something. If you're not satisfied, do something. Do something. I don't know what to tell you because I'm not God. I just know we need to do something. I need God. I, I Honestly, I told the group when we met earlier, like, about an hour before the service, that I would be thrilled if God showed up so amazingly powerful that the children's church all the way to the foyer, nobody could stand in his presence. That's what I want. I want God to show up in a way that he's never shown up in this house before. I want him to do something that's purely him. And it's not generated by me. It's not generated by what we feel. It's not generated by what we like. Well, we want God to do this. I want God to do something sovereign. And I don't know how to do that. I do know that he responds to hunger, though. And I'm hungry for him. And so whatever it takes inside of you, wherever you're at, on the spectrum of meeting Jesus and letting him love you to be free, to meeting the unknown God to be free, wherever on that spectrum God's dealing you, let him deal with you right now. There'll be people up here to pray also if you want someone to pray with you.